We welcome you into this church, into this fellowship, Father God. Lord, have your way in us, Father God. Speak to us through your word today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us, Father God, to follow your instruction, Father God. Lord, we, we seek, seek you, Lord. We seek your grace. We seek to do your will, Father God. Please come and speak to us, Father. Have mercy on us, Lord. We are weak people, Father, but you are strong. You can do all things, Father God. Change our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, <clears throat> today I, I have a very important message to share with everybody. We're going to uh, teach on a topic about judging others. So how to judge others, no. <laughs> you know, the, uh, when it lists the spiritual gifts in the Bible... And all of those, there's no gift of judging. No, no gift of judging. So nobody has the gift of judging, the, the ministry of judgment. And actually, uh, judging others and having a critical attitude is a very important thing. It's, it's not only harmful for other people, but it's harmful for ourselves too. Um. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, 7. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and these, these blessings are called the Beatitudes, the, the blessings. He said, Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Mercy means uh, compassion and a sympathetic feeling for someone. Usually someone who, you know, needs, needs compassion. They, they, they are in need. They're not totally whole and perfect themselves. God is this way. God is merciful. So when we are merciful, we are the same mind as God. Let's look in James 2.13. James 2.13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is good news for us because it means that God has mercy on us. His, his mercy triumphs over judgment. God's way is mercy. God is a merciful God. It's part of his, his character. He has compassion and uh, feeling, compassionate feeling for those who are poor and needy, for those who are spiritually sick, who are brokenhearted, who are contrite in their spirit. That's why many times... The Bible seems to bless 
people who are poor and, and in deep need. Why? Is because God is merciful. He, he has compassion on these people. And these people are the ones who are open to receive from him. So God is merciful. He, he does not come to judge, judge us. Definitely, there will be a time when, when he will judge. Then everyone, everyone will, will be judged. But let's read in John three sixteen and 17. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So you see, the reason Jesus came this first time was not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but he came to save the world. God, thank you. Yeah, Jesus, it means God, God saves. It's, that's his name. It's God, God came to, because he had compassion and mercy on us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. His purpose was to save us because he's merciful. This is the heart of God. He demonstrated abundant mercy to all of us because we are sinners, helpless without him. So when the Pharisees came and they criticized Jesus, they said, you spend too much time with sinners. Actually, you just felt, you hang around with sinners. Why do you even talk to these people? You go into their houses, you eat and drink with them. All these bad, bad people, sinful people. How did Jesus respond? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. You see, God, he has compassion. He has mercy on those who need him. This is, this is the, the mercy of God. When Jesus and his disciples came to a Samaritan village, they were going to Jerusalem, and they were going to go into the village to get some supplies. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people. So they started to come out and were opposing Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? It's not the fire of the Holy Ghost, but the fire from heaven, like Elisha. And Jesus rebuked them. And he said, He said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So, you see, the, the attitude of God, He is a merciful God. He is not looking to judge and condemn. In contrast, you look at Satan. Satan, even his name in Hebrew, means the accuser. Like the, the adversary in court. When you go to court, like there's a prosecution, right? And this person did something wrong. 
In fact, three times in the Bible, we see Satan in, in, this, in this position, accusing people before God. In Job chapter 1 and 2, Satan, all the angels come up and, and Satan comes up with them and God says, Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been, you know, roaming around, checking out everything. And God says, have you considered Job? Job is an upright man. And Satan says, no, he's not. Actually, if you take away all of those things, he will curse you. God says, okay, I allow you, but don't touch him, his, his life. And then the second time, he, God, God says, see, Satan, Job is an upright man. You incited me against him, but he, he is still upright. And Satan said, skin for skin, if you touch his, his, his body, he will certainly curse you. You see, the Job, I mean, Satan is in this prosecuting mode, accusations. He's looking to judge people, condemn people. He wants people, he wants people to see people punished. That's, that's, what, that's what he wants. In Zechariah 3, 1 to 2, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right, and said to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So in, in Zechariah, Zechariah saw a vision of Satan standing before God and the high priest of the Jewish people at that time. And Satan was accusing this, this guy. So Satan always accuses people. In Revelation chapter 12, 9 through 10, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. So in Revelation you see again, Satan is the accuser. And he's always accusing people before God. Satan never has our best interests in mind. But he wants to drag people down to his level. He wants to undermine them, destroy them. So he's always looking for weaknesses to criticize, things that he can point to and say, this person deserves punishment. Many times... I act like Satan, maybe not outwardly, but, but in my heart. In the, the last um, few weeks, I, I, I switched jobs. So I, before, I would take the bus from Renton to Bellevue, and then that was like the Microsoft bus, you know, all the, all the you know, well, the sound transit, you know. It, so all the, all the, you know, well-to-do, educated people, but then I switch jobs, so now I go between Renton and Seattle, and I take the 101 Metro. And then you guys know the Metro, right? 
It's a lot different than Sound Transit. You guys, um, it's like the, you know, the, the, the local bus. So it's like all the you know, work, working class Joes and, and stuff. And, and I tell you, sometimes it's like I, I, I overhear the weirdest things on the Metro bus. <laughs> the weirdest things. There was this guy talking to this other guy talking about how his, uh, I, I, okay, I don't want to, okay, I'm not going to repeat it because I don't want to be judgmental, but it's just like the weirdest things, you know, and, and, and I was, I was, uh, I would get annoyed, you know, and like there's, sometimes there's, you know, guys who are a little unstable and like, you know, swearing at people and stuff. And, and so anyways, it's more like the real world. Okay. And, and. I, 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 there was this one time when I realized what I was doing in my heart because there was this, like, girl from in high school or something, and she was calling people, and apparently she, like, forgot her friend's bag or something, and she called her dad, and f- she was talking really loud right next to me, and I was so, like, please, come on, you know, and, and, and uh, from her conversation with her dad, I, I could tell that she did not have a good home life, you know. And she was probably being abused and stuff. And you know what? I was still in judgmental mode against her. But when the bus stopped at a bus stop and this older guy got up and as he was getting off the bus, he just handed her... A bill. I don't know how much it was. Maybe five bucks, ten bucks, or something. And he didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. And he just kept on walking and got off the bus. And I was, I was, sitting there thinking, "Oh my goodness." You know, here's this older guy who's probably like her grandfather's age. And you know, usually the old people are like the you know judgmental, like those young whippersnappers, you know, <laughs> this and that. And then he. This guy had mercy on, on this girl, even though she was res, uh, resp- uh, unre- irresponsible and, and, yeah, maybe she deserved what, what she was getting, but he had mercy on this, on this girl. And I don't even know if he was a Christian or not. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me that, Tyson, you are not, you do not know what spirit you are of. You do not know what spirit you are of. In fact, I was looking resembling Satan much more than I was resembling Jesus. But how many times do we judge other people in our heart? We think in our heart, you know what? If something bad happens to them, they deserve it. In fact, when I hear something bad happens to them, I think, yes. They finally got what they deserved. I think we, we, we all do this. Why? Simply because we're not God. We do not have the character of God. For us, getting your just desserts seems right. We, we, we want that. I was in Washington, D.C., on September 11th in 2001. And 
I remember like hearing first about the first tower and then the second tower and the towers falling and then the Pentagon. And then there was some crash out in Pennsylvania and we had no idea what was going on and people were really afraid. And actually we had good reason to be afraid because that fourth plane, if the the people had not you know, fought against the hijackers, it would have hit the National Mall, either the White House or the, or the Congress. And people were we, were, we were all afraid, and we were all, you know, what is going on? I remember driving by the Pentagon and just seeing this gaping black hole in the Pentagon because you can see it from the, from the freeway. And I remember in the the months after, you know, being very angry at Osama bin Laden. Very angry to the point, you know, every, I think a lot of guys probably had, you know, like the, the dreams, what would you do, you know, if you had a chance to go at him? You know, what would you do? And so when we, when we heard that Osama bin Laden was killed a few months ago, we had this feeling in our, in our hearts that, yes, this guy finally got what he deserved. And it's true. He did get what he deserved. But you know what? God did not take any pleasure in it. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God, he speaks through Ezekiel. He said, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. God, he says, I swear by the highest thing possible, I swear by myself that I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I wish that they would turn and live. You see, up until the very last, God extended mercy, compassion to Osama bin Laden. He wanted Osama to repent and to turn. And be saved. Up until the very last. And he finally, he did get what he deserved. I'm not saying that, that he, he wasn't a bad guy. God knows that he was a bad guy. But God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so, if God feels this way, even about the worst people, how can we who are in no position, the same position as God, take pleasure when somebody else gets what they deserve? How can we desire this person to have their just punishment? How can we condemn people in our hearts and say, this is, this is what they deserve? So you see, there is Satan's way, and then there's God's way. 
and they couldn't be farther apart. Unfortunately, most of us, most often we're more towards this end of the spectrum. We, very, we, we criticize other people. At the same time, we want other people to give us leniency and, and understand us, right? But we, we, we criticize and condemn other people. We judge other people. What can we do? How can we change? You can't do it, unfortunately, just by knowing judging other people is wrong. Just having that awareness is okay, it's good. You need that awareness. But you can't change yourself just by willpower. You need a new heart. I need a new heart. We need a heart like Jesus. Jesus, when he looked at Jerusalem, he knew they were going to crucify him. And he wept. He said, why do you always reject God? God sends the prophets to speak to you, to draw you back to him. But you, what do you do? You stone them. We need, we need the, the heart of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to come inside of us and to change us from the inside. What is the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is love. And love does no harm to its neighbor. When we walk in love, there's nothing that we, we will never do anything wrong. The Pharisees lived according to the letter of the law, but they could not fulfill the purpose of the law, which is to reveal the character of God. Because they knew the law, but they had no, no spirit, no power to fulfill the purpose of the law. But when we have the Spirit, and when we walk according to the desires of the Spirit, then we will naturally do, fulfill the purposes of the law. That's why we all continually need to press into God and desire more of Him. Don't just wait only until once a year at church camp to receive the Spirit. But receive the Spirit every day. When you wake up, get in touch with the Spirit. Say, Lord, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit continually. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. We need, we need Him to come and cleanse the wrong attitudes and thoughts out of us. And then to fill us up with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the first of which is love. Paul, he said, let me, sh let, let me, let me break it down for you. There's all these gifts and everything, but, but I want to tell you what's most important. He said, it's love. Love is most important. John, when he said, if you're unsure whether you're saved or not, there's a simple test. Do you love your brother if you love your brother, then don't worry about it. You're okay. But if you hate your brother, the Spirit of God is not in you. The New Testament warns us many times against judging other believers. Okay? 
Definitely, we, we, we shouldn't also judge, judge the world. He, Paul says, hey, we're not to judge the world. We're even to start in the church. But, you know, even among believers, we need to be careful. For about judging people outside, you read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says he gets the base riled up. You know, he's like, and those guys, they don't acknowledge God, and, and they, they reject him, and God has given them over to perversion, and this and that. And then in Romans chapter 2, he says, but you, you who judge, you have no right to, because you do the very same things yourself. And when you do judge, you, you treat God's kindness that leads you to repentance in a wrong way. And you're bringing judgment down upon yourself. So definitely we don't judge people outside. We just, okay, you know, I'm not, doesn't mean that I say wrong is right and right is wrong. Doesn't mean that. But I don't, des- I don't desire them to be punished. I desire people to be saved. Amen? That's the heart of God. Okay, hopefully, you know, we're, we, we don't have that problem too much, but a lot of times, you know, the, the, the people who you have the most problem with are the people who are closest to you, right? You know, I mean, you can be very nice and polite to a stranger, but when it comes to your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, then, you know, it's like, Rawr! the, 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 the real fighting begins, right? You, you hardly get in those types of fights with strange people, you know, people you don't know. So how do we deal with judging others in the church among other believers? James, in James 4, 11 to 12, he says, Brothers, do not slander one another. It means like easily say bad things against one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is what, what James, James says. He says that when we judge our brother and sister in the church, we are putting ourselves above the law. In fact, we are saying, God, you're not doing your job. I'm going to do your job for you. Okay, I'm going to help you out. I'm just going to pass judgment on your behalf because you're, you're not, you know, here obviously to give me met out punishment. So in, in Romans 14, 1 through 4, Paul is talking about when it comes to disputable matters, things we can argue about. He says, Romans 14, 1 through 4, he says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One's man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
So what Paul is saying is he's saying that in the kingdom of God, there's no middle management. He says, everybody reports to the CEO directly. You report to God. Your brother and your sister here in the church reports to God. They get their direction directly from God. And we're talking about disputable matters. In Paul's case, he was talking, is it okay to eat meat out of the marketplace? You don't know if it was sacrificed to an idol or not. Paul says, you know, hey, God made everything. You know, it's, it's okay for me. I bless it in the name of the Lord. You know, it's sanctified. But some people, they, they feel, you know, that's a terrible thing. Don't you know what you're doing? You're participating, you know, in, in the, this, this idol worship. It, they, were, they weren't just making, you know, um, being uh, noisy for noisiness sake. They really had pangs of conscience, uh, conscience about, about what was happening. So Paul says, hey, you know, each stands or falls before his, his master. We are not to judge another, another man's servant. We, we're all servants, right? We're, we're not to judge, judge one another. This is what it comes down to when, when we're talking about what music can we listen to? What, what movies can we watch? What books should we read? What hobbies should we have? You know, all, all of these things. These are, are disputable matters. And no doubt God is going to tell us specific things, but he's going to tell you a specific thing. And maybe he's going to tell somebody else the same thing at a different time, or he's going to tell them something different. There's no middle management in the kingdom of God. We hear directly from God himself through the Holy Spirit. Do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people, I mean, I, I know from experience, I've done this myself. I've come to Pastor Lau and I've said, Pastor Lau, what do you think about this? And the reason I come and I ask him that question is because I know what the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says no. And I want to hear Pastor Lau say yes so that I can put the blame on Pastor Lau. And so the, I come to Pastor Lau, what do you think about this, you know, um, this, and, and Pastor Lau, if he's, I mean, he's usually, I can't remember what he said, but this is what I will say. I will say, you know, I think you, if it's, if it's like a disputable matter where you need to listen to the Holy Spirit, you know, it's like basically you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? You know, why are you coming to middle management? You know, you need to go and, and ask the guy who signs your paycheck, you know. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. It goes in the same way when, when, when we know somebody's doing something wrong or they said something wrong. It's like, when is it right for me to go and talk to that person? Don't ask me. These, these are things you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to ask you, are you acting in love? Do you love this person? 
That's what the Holy Spirit's going to say. When you have questions about, is this thing all right? Is it, is it, you know, is this, these books okay? You know, you need to ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me that I could not have Joshua Tree, the, that YouTube, YouTube, uh, YouTube album. It was my favorite CD. The Holy Spirit told me, you need to get rid of it. I was like, why? I love that album. He said, no, you need to get rid of it. It doesn't mean that other people have to get rid of it. It's, it's, I, I need, I, God told me that I could not have that album anymore. Can you hear the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Can you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to other people instead of you judging them and criticizing them? Just leave it, leave it, to, leave it to God. What if somebody is caught in a clear sin, okay, and it needs to be dealt with? What should we do in that case? Because we talked about disputable matters. What if it's a clear sin? What should we do in that case? Let's look at Galatians 6, 1 to, 1 to 2. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul said, we need to consider other people's burdens our own. He, he, said, he said, when somebody is caught in a sin, you restore them gently. Being careful, but you, you restore them gently. Your goal is, is restoration because you're on the same team. Right? You're, you're, you're helping to pick up and carry another person's burden. I hope that, you know, definitely um, in a congregation that's like 200 people or so, we can't um, share everything, like carry, like share everything in our life because we just don't have time to have that type of relationship. But at least I want you to find a group of people in the church who you can share your burdens with. So that when you are dealing with some sin, then your brother or your sister can come alongside you and help you, keep you accountable. We, we need this type of, of cooperation in the church. We need to work as teammates, not as opposing team members. The Galatians, unfortunately, they were all in this you know, attitude where they were looking out for, you know, uh, being able to, opportunities to criticize the other guy. And they were saying, oh, that guy's caught in a sin, whack! You know, know, grind him down. But Paul said, no, no, no. Don't just simply write your your brother or sister off at the first sign of sin. Oh, weakness. We, We need to restore them. Because we have mercy and compassion. In Jude, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 22 and 23. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy, 
mixed with fear, hating even the clothes stained by corrupted flesh. Jude says, be merciful. Be merciful when other people are doubting, when other people are weak, when other people are wandering astray. Be merciful, mixed with fear, because you know that you are also a recipient of God's grace. So we should have mercy and not condemn our brothers and sisters. What about, I think this, this is, uh, we can try to deal with it privately, right? Amen? Right? If we wanted to restore people, we, we should first try to deal, it, deal with it privately. What about issues? When, when do you take it before the church? When are people corrected before the church? Just because we talk about not judging people today doesn't mean that the church, there's no church discipline. There must be. But in what cases? 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. Just before he had said, the elders are worthy of double honor, which means honor as, uh, with, a, with a financial gift is a, a way of honoring them. But on the other hand, if they sin and it's harmful to the church, you need to rebuke it publicly. These are for elders that we are talking about. So I'm, I need to think about this. You know, and, and, and keep this in mind. And honestly, you know, yeah, we want to be motivated by good motivations. But this keeps me in line too. Because, yes, I believe that we need church discipline. This is one case where, where we have the um, uh, public, public rebuke. Another case is when someone is sins flagrantly without remorse. So it's... In, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul, he said, there's a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. So, and he's, he's not sorry about it. He's doing it openly. He said, put this man out of fellowship. Treat him as you would treat an unbeliever so that he will be shamed and chastened and, and be restored. The goal is restoration. So that's, that's, an, that's another case. But in all of these cases, we remember that we are on the same team, right? And if one part of the church gets hurt, then the whole church feels the hurt. But if this one part is restored and brought back and made whole, then the whole church benefits. We're all happy and we're all made whole together. So we are in this together, right? We, 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 if, if someone sins, we are also grieved, just like God is grieved, and we want that person to be restored, right? So you think, you think how can I restore this person? Am I, am I thinking and acting out of love? What can we do to prevent a critical attitude? How can we solve the critical attitude? We talked about 
needing the Holy Spirit. And I think this is key. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why when we have the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and, and all of those things, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. But go up and, and say, Holy Spirit, come in me. Change my heart to be more like yours because I know I cannot change on my own. But what else can we do? We can see people the way God sees them. You know, the way God God is just, he thinks in a totally different way than we do. He thinks completely different than we do. He says, Jesus said, you know, for, for rich people, very rich people, for them to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's easier for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. With men, you know, not everything's possible, but with God, all things are possible. He never said rich people couldn't be saved. He said, by God's grace, they can. With God, all things are possible. When we look at people, do we see what is possible? Do we see the potential in these people? Or do we just see their faults? Maybe their small faults. And we just focus on that. What do we look at? What do we see when we look at people? Don't think that this is for somebody else. Don't listen to this message for somebody else. Say, that person is very judgmental. <laughs> it's very ironic. <laughs> you know, that person needs to listen to this message. <laughs> Missing the point. <laughs> We need to see people the way God sees people. We need to see potential in others. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Barnabas. Look in uh, Acts 4, 36 and 37. So Luke, the doctor, who was not one of the 12 disciples, right? But he was like a, a helper of Paul. He was a Gentile doctor, and he wrote the book of Acts. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, it's the first time he talks about Barnabas. And he says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So, Luke introduces Barnabas, and he says his name is Joseph, but everybody calls him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas is, is, is a, I, I, wish, I wish we would have many Barnabases in this church. Um, look at Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27. When he saw came to Jerusalem from Damascus because he, he was going to Damascus to arrest Christians and have them killed. And then he got converted. Jesus appeared to him. And he was, now he's a Christian. But now when Saul came back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Wow, Barnabas is pretty cool. Nobody else wanted to go near Saul. He was bad news. He was like number one enemy of the church. He was a murderer and a blasphemer. He totally against Christianity and, and, and God's people. But Saul, but Barnabas saw what was potential in Paul. Barnabas saw Paul, or Saul at that time, the way God did. Saul was a really bad guy, but God saw potential in him, and he had grace on him. He had a lot of grace because Saul was so hard-headed. He had to be struck by miraculous blinding flash of light and a vo- audible voice coming down to heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then that's what it, that's what it took to get through Saul's, Saul's head. God had mercy on Saul because he saw Saul. He saw what was potential in Saul. He knew the plans that he had for Saul. And nobody else saw it the same way God did, except Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement. Later on in Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had been traveling together. And on their first trip, they took John Mark. And John Mark had come along with them until probably some, some part where the going got rough and John Mark left them. And later on, when they were going to make their second trip, um, Barnabas said, hey, let's bring Mark along. Paul's like, what? You got to be kidding me. That guy is so flaky. He's a featherweight Christian. What do you call it? Like the um, fair weather fans or something? You know, sunshine patriots. You know, he's that guy. Oh, my goodness. No way. No way. If you're going to bring him, I'm going a different way. I'm taking Silas. And so that's what Paul did. Paul did not give Mark a second chance. Barnabas did. Barnabas saw what was potential in Mark. And you know what happened? Who was proved right? Barnabas. Yeah. In 2 Timothy the last letter that Paul wrote when he's in chains before he's going to be martyred. In all, I think the last chapter of the last letter that he wrote, he writes to Timothy. He says what? And when you come, bring Mark with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Wow. Thank God for Barnabas. Thank God for Barnabas who saw the potential in people who wasn't quick to judge and and criticize, but encouraged people. He gave Saul a chance. He encouraged Mark after Mark did make a mistake. Thank God for Barnabas. We need to be more like Barnabas. So in conclusion, being merciful does not mean that we are blind to what is right and wrong, or that we say wrong things are right and right things are wrong. 
It doesn't mean that. It means that instead of desiring punishment and judgment to come upon people, we desire people to be restored and saved and brought back to God. This is mercy. This is, this is what we need. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We need to be like Jesus, not like Satan. Whenever we find ourselves judging others, we need to remember and, and repent before God. Say, God, I'm sorry. It's not my, my, not my place to judge. I'm not feeling love towards this person. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can look at this person with love. God's changing me. And so now when I'm on the Metro bus, then I'm praying for these people instead of just being annoyed at them. Because God wants us to, to be merciful. And you know what? You're going to be a happier person. You think Satan gets happy by accusing people? He doesn't. He doesn't. He's, he's the most wretched person in the entire universe. Criticizing and bringing other people down gives him zero kilowatts of, of good feeling. He, has, he, he gets no, no good feeling from it. Um, Matthew 7, 1 to 3. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is, is talking about a measure, like a, you know, like, um, yeah, we, we, weigh, weighing, weighing things. Or you, we, could, we could think about like a, a gallon or, or, you know, ounces when you bake, right? You, you use measurements. He says, whatever measure you use, whatever standard you judge other people against, that is going to be used against you. That's why it's smart just not to judge. Leave the judging up to God. Leave the judging up to God. Paul, he said, I don't care what you or any other human court judges me. I don't even judge myself. Judge nothing before the appointed time. That's what Paul said. He said, I don't even judge myself. We have to be careful not to judge. One day, we are all going to appear in the throne room of God. And for, for us, if we've accepted the salvation that God has offered to us, he's going to find our name written in the book of life. And he's going to say, here is your reward based on what you've done. But those whose name is not found in the book of life are going to face the just punishment for all of their sin. And that includes us if we don't forgive other people, if we act like Satan all the time by, by judging other people. That will include us. We, we are no longer walking in grace. We're no longer walking in love. James 2, 12 and 13 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, the law of love. 
because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many people, after listening to the, the words that we went over today, admit that God's way is not our way? God's way is not our way. You know what? We may say it's not fair, but you know what? That's true. But it's God, God chose this way. If you want what's fair, you're going to get what's fair. And you're not going to like it. But this is God's way. Thank God for his mercy. You know, this is unique to Christianity. This idea is so foreign to humans that it must be from God. Every other religion is like yin and yang, tao, you know, karma. You're going to get exactly what you deserve. But Christianity talks about the mercy of God. If anybody here is not a Christian, but you want to be, that you want to receive the mercy from God, it's very easy. You don't need to go to a school and, and get a degree. You don't need to reach a certain level of moral morality before you can become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is actually admitting that you can't do any of those things, that you need God's mercy, that you come to him with open hands, not holding some, some little good works. See, Lord, this dirty rack? No. We need to come with open hands. Say, Lord, I need from you. I don't have anything to give to you. I don't have anything to say I'm good or anything to boast about. But I need mercy from you. If anybody wants to become a Christian today, to accept God's offer, now is the time. Now is the time. Jesus did not come to judge and condemn people. He came to save people. But when he comes the second time, he will judge. When we die and we go up to meet God, we will face judgment. But now is the time of salvation. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn and be saved. Turn and be saved. If you want to turn to God and be saved, let's pray together. If you want to be saved, just follow after me this, this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need your salvation. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want your Holy Spirit. I invite you to come inside me. Live inside me. Change my heart. Help me to be more like you. Thank you, Lord.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For the, the, the rest of us, including myself, let's just, let's, let's stand up and, and, and pray before God and ask him for forgiveness, for not having mercy like he has mercy. And let's ask him for the Holy Spirit because we can't do this by ourselves. It does no good just for me to tell you not to be judgmental. It does no good for me just to tell you not to be judgmental. You need the Holy Spirit if you're going to change. The Holy Spirit is the only way that you can have the same heart as God and the mercy of God. Let's pray to him. Let's let's call out to him together. Father God, Lord, we repent of judging other people, of accusing other people in our heart. Father God, change us by your Holy Spirit to be more like you. We invite your Holy Spirit to take control of our lives. Lord, we need you. We need you, Father God. Lord, please come. We open ourselves to you. We open ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Everybody receive it by faith. Receive it. Lord, (laughs) we receive your Holy Spirit. Come inside, Lord. We invite you in. Come and change us, Father. Change us, Lord. We are in need of you. Thank you, Lord. Father God, bless your people. Father God, make this congregation be a congregation of love. Lord, that the devil will find no foothold. He's not going to be able to play any games in this congregation, Father. Lord, but we are going to be drawn together, bound together in love, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that the way that we treat one another will be a great witness to people outside who don't know you. Father God, change us, Father God. Fill us, Father, with with new love, Father God, from you. Fill us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, love, love one. Thank you, Lord. God is good. Amen. God is so good. You may be seated. Love one another deeply from your, from your heart. Thank God for his Holy Spirit that he, he fills you up, fills you with joy. Thank him for your brothers and sisters who you see. Look at them the way that God sees them. Amen? Amen. So today, maybe if, you, if the Holy Spirit leads you to, then hug, hug a, a brother or sister. But in our church, we just hug only guys and guys and girls and girls. Okay? Sorry. (laughs) 
So, but but we want to love one another. Okay, let's show show love to one another. Amen. Amen. Yeah, please stay. We have lunch today. It's a uh, kalmungai, which is uh, chicken over over rice. Very delicious. All of us here today is so blessed to receive the word of no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We have been saved, no condemnation. But the people out there still being condemned because the devil is accuser and condemned them. That's why they have no hope. Today is a point in time. If I speak this to you, not for me. If I speak this to you, it's the Holy Spirit because he came to this world to save which was lost. His heart that don't want many to purge but come to repentance. All of us here have a privilege to sit in this house. Soak with the Holy Spirit, receive the word, and being blessed. Think about the other. Out there, they are dying, lose hope. Today, 2 o'clock, uh, downtown park. Come join us. Westlake, Westlake, Westlake Mall. Now, I tell you, when you go out there, you're going to experience something that you never experienced before. There are big fish out there. They had shark, crocodile, not the small fish in the church. When you say, Jesus loves you, everybody will say, Amen. But over there, they might bite you. But you know, if they bite you, Jesus is with us. You will never get hurt, okay? And beside, beside, you bring the, they say the word of God is like a living, cold, refreshing water for the thirsty land. They are so thirsty. So come with us. God's going to bless you. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, Papa. Thank you, Papa. Actually, it's, 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 that's, a, that's a very good point that my dad brings out, is that, you know, if you, sometimes you don't feel something, but the way to get it is actually to step and start to do it, and then, then the, the feelings will come later. You know, Christianity isn't about feelings anyway, you know. So, yeah, good. Thank you. So you are welcome to join us for lunch. We have, we're going to have lunch now. And then at 2, they will have the, the evangelism in Westlake. God bless you.